Steve and Kevin analyze vintage scenarios on episode 98 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 98 of So Many Insane Plays, our first vintage scenario show of 2020. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hi, everyone. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can tweet us at Many Insane Plays, email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTGCast, or TheManadrain.com. We're glad to have you with us. We know this is a trying time for everyone, but we want to give you a little bit of a distraction and hopefully some entertainment. Precisely that. So for announcements this episode, obviously we would normally talk about upcoming vintage paper tournaments here, but given the situation that we all find ourselves in, that's not really a factor. So local tournaments in my area, and I assume the same for nearly everyone in the world, are simply not happening right now. However, on the flip side, the other side of that coin is that Magic Online vintage tournaments have really profited from our collective isolation. (laughs) And... The, the last few challenges have had noteworthy attendance. So, Steve, the most recent challenge on the 28th of March had 106 players, which is at least one of, if not the largest, since the very first vintage challenges back in 2015. And the events prior to that had, what, 102 and 99 players, respectively? That's so, right. So the we've seen some yeah, pretty unprecedented attendance on our vintage challenges online, which given the situation, is a small silver lining to the situation we all find ourselves in. Well, the and largest the largest vintage tournament ever held on Magic Online, to my knowledge, is the Holiday Festival from 2014, which had 134, 135 players. So that still remains by far the largest, but the very first vintage Power 9 challenge, before it was just called the Vintage Challenge, was over 100 players. Unfortunately, we have no record of exactly how many players played in that, we do have the final top 16 standings from it, and the top seven players had 18 points, which suggests it probably was sur- sur- you know, above 100, but I don't know whether it was 100, you know, above 106 or below 106. The very next month in November, uh, it was 90-some players, and I know that because I wrote a, a metagame breakdown and analysis for Eternal Central. Mm-hmm. So the very, very first vintage Power 9 Challenge was held in October, the end of October 2015, and I believe it was the largest of the challenges so far. But it is a welcome development that we're (laughs) on the verge of breaking that, if not having broke it. Suffice it to say, if you'd like to get your vintage magic fix and you're able to play on Magic Online, now is a great time. Competition could not be higher and better. That's right. LSV was in the last tournament. Reed Duke, some great competition. So, high level. Yeah. Now, we're not here to do a full metagame breakdown, even though we may do one of those very soon, but our next show will clearly be our Ikoria set review, which I'm very excited for. Looking forward to doing another exciting set review with you, Steve. Yeah, looking forward to it as well. We've had a stroke of luck in the last couple of years with some great sets. I did yeah. want to mention one thing about the, the tournament results, though. Yeah. But, but please finish your thought if you have anything else you want to add by way of introduction. Yep. 
yeah, the only other announcement I have is, is that and that we will be recording that set review very shortly as the Ikoria previews start pretty soon. The one thing I just wanted to, to note is that in the tournament results, specifically the, the 106 player Vintage Challenge from the end of March, that both the first and second place decks, Kevin, had four Pyroblast main deck. <laughs> one, yeah. one is a Jeskai deck and the other is Oath. Uh, that does not strike me as coincidental. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see your point, and I was thinking of similar thing as I looked past recent results because both the challenge and the prelim list past weekend were won by Jeskai. Similar, but not exactly the same lists. And I was looking back through recent history to say, is this a, a really strong blue-dominated environment that we're in? And I would have to conclude that no, it's not exactly blue-dominated. Workshops are still highly present, even though the dominant list of late in terms of top eight performances has been Golo stacks rather than Ravager shops in, in very recent events. But the environment is surprisingly diverse right now. Blue decks are more common. Dredge is a little bit depressed right now, but it did win the challenge about a month ago. And so, but there's, in my a brief estimation of especially winning decks from the past few challenges, there's just been a lot of different decks winning between PO and Grixis and, and just a lot of different decks. That, that's, that is true, but you're still burying the lead. I mean, the, the mm. first, second, and fourth place decks all had four Pyroblast. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I th- well, I do I th- think that was a, a recent metagame adjustment, but I also think that the online metagame moves pretty fast these days. Are we at, are we at the point, I've been thinking, are we at the point where we're going to see decks with now Red Elemental Blast as like fifth and sixth Pyroblasts? That it's is, bit, yeah, that is a very interesting uh, mental exercise because... Whenever you have C4 of a card that you could play 8 of, it, str- it smacks of potentially oversimplification in deck building, doesn't it? By the way, the 6th place deck also has 4 Pyroblast uh, main deck. It's not uncommon to see Pyroblast split between main and side, mm-hmm. but to see the 1st, 2nd, 4th, and 6th with 4 main deck is, is quite interesting. That seems very hostile to me, to, py- to Paradoxical Outcome. I... I- I've been playing do- a lot of Doomsday lately, and it is also hostile to Doomsday. Not because you can't, <laughs> you know, Doomsday through Pyroblast, but because your win condition is Thassa's Oracle. Um, yeah. The other thing that's interesting, so obviously the the one strategy that historically could play a bunch of Pyroblast main deck and often had four or more is Painter Servant. Um, but beyond that, you don't see lots of Red Elemental Blast main deck. You know, maybe a few. Uh, I wonder what to make of it. I, obviously, the most critical blue draw spells in Jeskai are uh, draw spells in Jeskai are blue. You know, mm-hmm. Gush, Dig, uh, Treasure Cruise, Ancestral, um, and Paradoxical Outcome being so powerful, it makes sense that that Pyroblast would see a lot of play. Same with you know the the various Planeswalkers. I wonder though, um, you know, the last time I think I ever played with five or more was I think back in the Psychotog days, Kevin, like two circa two thousand four. Yeah. When you played a lot of Tog Mirrors and you wanted to have plenty of Pyroblast for your opponent's Psychotog. And I probably played, you know, like, I don't know, probably five, maybe even six at one point in a you know, between main deck and sideboard. I think we're at a point now where you could reasonably play five or six Pyroblasts in Red Elemental Blasts between the main deck and sideboard, which is a really interesting place now that Mental Misstep is restricted. Yeah. Well, I agree with every, everything you've observed, and I want to just add one thing, and I think one of the contributing factors to the rise in Pyroblast at the moment is that the most successful, at least in the last few weeks, the most successful bizarre-based deck has been Hollow Vine. 
<laughs> a deck that runs at just an obscene amount of counter spells. Right. And so if you want to do yeah, if you want to do something as simple as resolve, say, I don't know, Grafdigger's Cage or whatever your your hate card of choice is against Hollowvine, then Pyroblast is your best way to make sure that those spells resolve. And I'm not sure that's I'm not saying that's the only cause. I'm just saying that's uh, appears to be a contributing factor. Yeah. And before people think, well, you know, playing four Pyroblast main deck is going to hurt you against shops. There were shops decks in these top eights that these decks defeated. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not like the blue decks haven't had lots of dead cards against shops in the past. I mean, obviously, Mental Misstep was of extremely limited utility against shops, and blue decks had no problems jamming four, you know. <laughs> so, well, so, to that end, yeah. To that end, I'd like to point out that the Jeskai decks that have been successful in the last couple of weeks have featured. M- upwards of two main deck shattering sprees so those decks are respecting the workshop decks in the main deck in addition to disrespecting them (laughs) with the four pyroblasts i have a feeling that the london mulligan might be contributing to the extreme polarity we're seeing in deck building that the london mulligan facilitates finding certain kinds you know classes of cards even in game ones even when you when you know your opponent's deck and this could be just uh, an, a knock-on effect of what you observed in our year-in-review show. Interesting. Well, we will be monitoring that, so watch this space. <laughs> That's right. Our next metagame show will, is almost certain to be a very interesting one because the metagame is in a really interesting place right now. And it does appear that if you've got a well-built deck in nearly any archetype, that you can be successful in the Magic Online metagame right now because just at a glance, the last few major events were won by... Jeskai, Jeskai, Doomsday, Jeskai, Outcome, Bug, Dredge, Outcome, Ravager Shops. I mean, there's just yeah. kind of a little bit of everything being successful of late. It, Oath was has been in the top. Uh, it does seem to me, though, that Jeskai and Bug, you know, the kind of grindy blue decks are are having a little bit more success than the rest. I would agree. But but, but PO, you know, other decks are, are certainly in the hunt. Yeah, PO won the challenge just a week before last, right? <laughs> it was March 15 that the prelim, sorry, it was the prelim that was won by PO. So, oh, yeah. And, and I'm sorry, look at the league decks. But yeah, the, the prelim before last was won by PO. So I genuinely think that if you've got a well-considered deck, you can be successful right now. Anyway, this show though, today, we're here to talk about some vintage scenarios. This is a show that we don't do very often, but when we do, our audience tends to be pretty interactive and and responsive about it so (laughs) we decided to fill this time in our plague infested world with some interesting vintage scenarios so let's get to it All right, Steve, you've provided us with an interesting buffet of scenarios here. Do you want to do any setup in terms of how you arrived at these scenarios or where we're going to begin? Well, the first scenario is just to get the juices going and to get you in the right mind frame of mind. So I'm calling it find the win. (laughs) Find (laughs) the win. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, that's a pretty straightforward mantra going all the way back to Magic the Puzzling, uh, of which I know you're a big fan. <laughs> it is a bit of a, it's more of a puzzle than it is an actually debatable scenario. Although <laughs> we might, we might actually have some things to debate, but let me just lay this out. And, and, you know, and by the way, if you're listening at home or, and you can pause it, 
it might be worth pausing once the scenario is laid out to just reflect and think for yourself. Mm-hmm. So your opponent, your opponent really doesn't matter, but in this case, it happens. Uh, this I drew this from an actual game I played. The opponent was playing Dredge and played first turn Bazaar Baghdad, and then activated it, discarded some blue, some uh, black and green cards, and played a Hollow One with three cards left in their hand. Um, and then on my turn, I drew a card, and my final hand after my draw step into my first main phase was as follows: Basic Swamp, Dark Ritual. Doomsday, Doomsday, Street Wraith, Brainstorm, and Thassa's Oracle. Just one more time, Basic Swamp, Dark Ritual, Doomsday, Doomsday, Street Wraith, Brainstorm, and Thassa's Oracle. Um, I will spoil it by saying I won this game on turn one. Find <laughs> find the win. So I know, Steve, that you are uh, a seasoned Doomsday player, far more so than I. <laughs> but And by the way, one... One of our earlier scenarios that we had an entire episode on doomsday scenarios in one of our first, I think, 35 shows. So, yeah. <laughs> I think so, was, yeah. I can immediately cite, even though I don't play doomsday as much as you, I know the mechanics in, in basic. I can immediately cite some constraints that this hand provides. Okay. Yes. Basic swamp being the only mana source, right? Yes. That limits your options. Dark rituals into doomsday means that that is obviously a clear line. You could doomsday right now. And you have a street wraith, which post doomsday could be used to draw the top card. Yes. These things are clear to me. It's also clear to me that the only other line you have is to street wraith immediately in the hopes of drawing some other card that would do something else. And that line, while not a 0% chance, seems like a very low percent chance to really pay off. The only thing you could reasonably find with that street wraith would be a source of blue mana with which to cast that brainstorm. And that's pretty low odds. You know, not zero, but my guess is it's in the 20 to 40% range, given the, the, the mana counts of the deck. So, I, obviously what you're setting up is here is, when we play Swamp Dark Ritual Doomsday, what is, the one, what, what is the order of cards that we're choosing such that Street Wraith cycling will kick off the whole combo? Yes, yes. I'm basically asking you, build the Doomsday pile. What's the best, what's the route to victory here? How do you build it? Yeah. And given that lens, it's pretty clear that the top card of that Doomsday Pile must be a blue mana source that casts Brainstorm. (laughs) Yes, yes. And in typical Doomsday deck, there are three of those that are not land. Mm -hmm. There is Black Lotus, Mock Sapphire, and Lotus Petal. And there are advantages and disadvantages to each. Obviously, you might say that Lotus is directly superior to Lotus Petal in every case, but that is, unless we need both of them in the pile... That is that is arguably the fact that we might need Lotus Petal for blue for brainstorm and then Lotus later for black for something, right. for example. Right. So it's it's not a clear answer that Lotus always goes before Petal. So before you walk down the road a little too far, let me just explain in case folks are not fully familiar with with you know how all this will work, you know, how how the combo basically works. We discussed this in our last set review, but Thassa's Oracle is a new and and arguably superior victory condition for Doomsday mm-hmm. over, say, the previous Laboratory Maniac. Basically, it is a blue. It costs blue-blue. It's a 1-3 power and toughness creature that has it comes into play trigger that allows you to look at the top two cards of your library and put one of them on top of your library, um, and the other goes to the bottom. And if you have basically two or fewer cards left in your library, you win the game. Now, I'm simplifying a little bit because it actually counts the number of permanents that you have in play, you know, with blue-blue, with with blue mana symbols in them, and the casting cost, um, and it's X equal to that or less. 
and you win the game. But basically, you with justice in play, you need two or less cards in your library to win the game as a trigger ability. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what, the, main, the two advantages of this card over Laboratory Maniac is, number one, it's more efficient. Laboratory Maniac costs an additional mana. And number two, you don't actually need it in play when the trigger resolves. It just you just need to get it in the play so the trigger can go in the stack. It's um, not it's not subject to removal once it's in play unless you're relying on your library being greater than zero. <laughs> yeah, which is a possible scenario, of course. Yes. But you can still win the game even if this is removed and your library is empty. Also, right. So yeah. so so the 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 real question comes into play. How, what's the what's the most efficient route to victory? Just build one route, and then we can discuss maybe how to optimize it in different ways yeah yeah um well so kevin so you've you've correctly surmised that you need a blue mana source on top to draw with street wraith yep and for the sake of argument let's just say that blue mana source should be black lotus that leaves four other cards to put in, in into the into the pile yeah what do you think and so my first instincts are so you're going to have a four card library and you're going to have black lotus in play well in your hand but you'll cast it and then you'll brainstorm Right. So you're going to brainstorm into a four-card library. Now, the process of brainstorming will reduce the size of your library to three. And three is a magical number, especially in the context of vintage and especially in the context of vintage doomsday, because it happens to be the same number as Ancestral Recall, right? (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty clear to me that you could Lotus into Brainstorm with blue-blue floating, and at least two of the three cards you find off of that Brainstorm could be Mox Sapphire or Lotus Petal and Ancestral Recall. So you could you could draw Sapphire, Ancestral, and X, put back any other other two cards in your hand, which at that point would be a Doomsday and X, I guess, and then play Sapphire. Again, you've still got blue, blue floating. Tap the Sapphire up to three blue, play Ancestral for your whole library, and then for blue, blue, you cast Thassa's Oracle and win the game. That seems like a baseline for me. So go through that one more time. So, Brainstorm, putting uh, back Doomsday... Putting, you had two uh, doomsdays in your original hand, so you put back right, one. So you're doomsday. still gonna be holding one of them, yeah. So I'm proposing that the next three so, cards in your library after Black Lotus are Mox Sapphire, Ancestor Recall, and any other card. You cat you, well, you cast well, brainstorm. Name, name another card. I mean say uh, another one. card. For the sake of simplicity, let's call well uh, what counterspell package do you have in the deck? Fl- I assume Fluster Storms, Duresses, yeah. Force of Wills, stuff like that. Yeah, unfortunately, none of those cards are accessible in my line because you wouldn't have a sufficient card in your hand for Fluster st- or for Force of Will, and you wouldn't have sufficient mana for Fluster Storm. So none of the disruptive effects can protect this using the line I'm proposing. But let's say, for the sake of argument, that the last card is uh, uh, Yogmoss Will. So you brainstorm into Sapphire Ancestral Yogmoss Will, and you put back Doomsday Number Two, which was in your opening hand still and the Yawgmoth's Will, at which point your hand is Sapphire, Ancestral, Thassa's Oracle, and you have blue-blue floating. That's the situation I propose. And your library is now three cards. Yes. So you Ancestral into your last three cards in your library, leaving your library empty, then you play Sapphire for your second blue-matted cast, Thassa's Oracle, with an empty library. There you go. At which point, yeah, at which point the Yawgmoth's Will and whatever the last card in your library was are, are effectively inconsequential to the, to the win. But you might as well make them Force of Will and a blue card, I guess, if you wanted to be defensive about it at that stage. Although it's pretty easy to disrupt this combo at any earlier stage, which you would be completely uh, defenseless against. If in a, let's say, default scenario where you have Mm -hmm. a draw trigger and one blue mana, 
typically what you would do in the Doomsday Pile with Thassa's Oracle is you put Ancestral Recall on top, you draw into the, the Ancestral, you cast Ancestral with your blue mana, and then you draw Flusterstorm, Black Lotus, and Thassa's Oracle with one card left in your library. And then you can just go Lotus, Thassa, with Flusterstorm protection and easily mm-hmm. win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Does this deck have days in it? So, some do, some don't. Um, okay. You, you also, I also have Misdirection in my list. Um, yeah. You can. You, the other thing you can do, Kevin, is you can play, um, if you don't have mana, but you have a land drop, you can put Gush on top, and that can actually, you can just Gush into, uh, you can Gush into... Um, Lotus Ancestral. Uh, well, no, because if you if you put Gush on top and draw oh, into it... <laughs> gush has deck. to be on top, yeah. Right. Yeah, I can't but do that. But what you can do is you can you can Gush, so if you if Gush is on top, and let's say you cycle Street Wraith into Gush, you can play Gush drawing the top two, the second and third card, leaving two cards left in your library. It can be Lotus and Thassa's Oracle, and then you can easily you, just yeah. win, win with that. Win. So, yep. so there, those are kind of the default scenarios, and then you, you obviously modify them depending on what you have in hand. Brainstorm is a very unusual card to have in hand because it, in some ways it's like a basic preordain, just a regular <laughs> cantrip, but in other ways it's much more sophisticated than that because if your right. hand is large enough, you can exchange two cards so you can sculpt much more mm, productively. Um, yeah, you can have force of will hands that way that don't start with force of will. Right, right, and and even have an additional blue spell to pitch. Mm-hmm. The one wrinkle is if you actually have Thassa's Oracle in your hand when you play Doomsday, then you don't actually have to put Thassa's Oracle into the pile. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing you didn't account for is you can put cycling cards into your pile. So you could put Street Wraiths or Gataxium Probe into your pile. Gataxium Probe actually makes it much simpler because you can just um, brainstorm into Probe, Probe into one of the cards, and then you don't actually need to play anything else. You'll have plenty of mana uh, for the... Um, for the the Thassa's Oracle off ah, of the yes. Lotus. Yeah, I see your point. So there's at least there's more than one linear line here that gets you to the win because right. of the starting conditions. Yeah. Right. Now I don't think there's any that can trump a mind break trap because once you go Dark Ritual Doomsday and then cycle, the first spell you play can be trapped. So yeah. one thing to bear in mind is if they do have a trap, you need to you should consider building a backup plan. So that's where we're really the the kind of the nuance of building piles comes in into, which is you know if there's a small percentage you can't win on the spot, what is the optimal way to to build the plan to have a backup plan to build your pile to have a backup plan? Yeah. So so I find myself Kevin quite a bit building piles that have it, it's it's strange because it's not something you would have done in the Laboratory Maniac era, but I find myself building Doomsday libraries that have like two or three land in them. Oh sure, or or two or both. Thassa's Oracle, <laughs> yeah. instead of like a Yogmoss will, just you know. And uh, in this case, so in this case, the presence of basic swamp in your opener really limits your options there, right? Because you you can't actually cast Thassa's Oracle with it if if they were to mind break trap the Lotus. But Kevin, you could you could put a, you know, typically the the Doomsday decks have three or four Street Wraiths. Now, once you've Doomsday and Street Wraith, you're probably at eight life or less. So you can't just street wraith to death, but you could get pretty low, you know, without without dying on the spot. So Kevin, mm-hmm. assuming you have let's say three or four street wraiths and and a Gataxian probe, is there an, a better optimal pile that you'd like to construct? So, given what you've just said, I want to construct a pile where the last two cards allow me to cast another Thassa's Oracle. 
but I need two more sources of blue since I have none in my opener. Well, you could, you could, let's see, you know what else you could do, Kevin? Well, the, you well could, hold on, let me, let, let me see if I yeah. can, let me see if I can get there, though. Yeah. Because to, to your point, if you don't focus on ancestral necessarily as much, you could, you need, to, in order to win with Thassa's Oracle in this kind of scenario, you, the, you really, the limitation is to get your library to two cards, assuming all other things being equal, right? Right. If those last two cards were, say, Black Lotus Thassa's Oracle, then you'd have a backup win, potentially, in the chamber, so to speak. So can you just get your library to two cards and still have blue-blue floating without going through Black Lotus? And the answer to that seems difficult. So if you... if <laughs> Yeah, that, you that's can really do difficult. It, you can do it with Probe and Ancestral. You can get the double blue, I believe, because you'll have to put Petal... You could probably put Petal in there. Let me see. So... You mean with obviously you can do Petal Sapphire to to cast Oracle this turn, but you can't draw all of those cards. You can't draw more than one card without putting mana in. That's the fundamental limitation, right? Without Gush, which you don't have access to because you have only basic swamp, there's no way to draw more than one card without putting mana in. True. Right? But there and is so another I, I don't so want then, to spoil it for you, but I do want to say there yeah. is another way, by the way. There is another way to get more mana if if this all fails, and I'll tell you what it is once you've fully thought this through. Yeah, well, and so I'm wondering if um, there's a Yogmoss will line. I'm wondering if there's a will line where you use Lotus now and have access to it again later, but that line doesn't work if it's your Thassa's Oracle that gets Mind Break trapped. So, yeah. or if it's your Lotus that get Mind Break trapped. So I can't think of a way to to beat Mind Break trap. Unless you pass the turn. No, there's. I don't think there's a way to beat it unless you pass the turn. But yeah. is there a way to beat it even if you do pass the turn? I mean, obviously, is there a way to oh. win next turn? Oh, sure. Well, that that part seems not, not especially difficult in the sense because that's how you get two draws without spending mana, right? So go through it. So, if you get... Tra if you're, yeah, if so you're, if, you're, if the top of your library... if So if the five cards you... Uh, so if the, the last two cards... Yeah, I want to be clear. Assume that they're going to trap the first spell you play post-Street Wraith. Just assume that. Even well, if it's a then lotus I, petal. Yeah, well, then I'm not going to play another spell this turn, right? Okay. Because because then the top of my Doomsday stack is going to include... the top One of the top two cards is just going to be Underground Sea. Yeah. So I'm going to... My stack is going to start with Underground Sea and then another blue source. So let's call it Mox Sapphire. Um, and I'm going to pass the turn. Next turn, I'll draw the Sea. I'll cycle Street Wraith... So the library is four. I'll cycle Street Wraith into... Um, Ancestral. Another street, no, another Street Wraith. Okay. I'll cycle that library is three. I'll cycle Street Wraith into Mox Sapphire. But you can play library Ancestral without getting Mind Break trapped. But keep I understand, going. but this way you yeah. don't have to play three spells yeah. in the turn. Yeah. So if the if the if the stack is from top to bottom, Underground Sea, Street Wraith, Mox Sapphire, Black Lotus, Thassa's Oracle. That's the stack. Next turn I draw C for the turn, four cards left. Cycle Street Wraith into Street Wraith, three cards left. Cycle Street Wraith into Mox Sapphire, two cards left. I play Underground Sea, Sapphire, Thassa's Oracle. I've played two spells that turn and win the game and am immune to Mind Break Trap. An another option, though, is you could play Ancestral Recall, draw the remaining three cards, play Duress off of your Swamp, Lotus, Thassa's Oracle. Ah, uh, yes, you're right. So, that would absolutely work as well. Sure, the, sure, sure. The, the other thing I wanted to point out, though, is there is another option. So it's a little tricky, but if, you're fr if you have both Lotus Petal and Black Lotus, and the Lotus Petal is the card that's countered, 
you could Lotus into the the second Doomsday and repl- and reset up a new Doomsday pile. Oh, fascinating. I love it. So, so that's, that's it. something I wanted to point out. And I actually have done that at least once. And I put Doomsday, <laughs> I've never done this before, but in vintage. <laughs> To my to my recollection, but I sometimes put Doomsday. If I have a second Dark Ritual in my hand, I will sometimes put Doomsday as the last card because it's a better bailout card than Yogwill or another Thassa because it can get you multiple things simultaneously. Yeah, interesting. I love it. That's funny. <laughs> but it becomes very dicey if you're relying on pure Street Wraith. So yeah. that's all I wanted to point out. Someone, um, I did post this on Twitter, and someone said the actual at. at Saturn Actual said his pile, his or her pile would be Black Lotus, Probe, Ancestral, Force of Will, Petal. Cycle, Wraith to draw Lotus, blue, 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 Brainstorm, draw Probe, Ancestral, Force of Will, put back Doomsday, Thassa's, uh, put back Doomsday, Thassa, Ancestral for Doomsday, Thassa, Petal, play Petal, Thassa with Force of Will backup, and no deck cards in deck. I don't think that works because, um, you you have force of will, but you don't have a blue card to pitch. <laughs> yeah, I've, I so I, I'm with you. I don't follow what blue card you're pitching. The force of you will don't. There. But but the the point he's getting at though, really, the main point is that probe is is a kind of a good glue there because yeah. it can tell you whether you can go for it now or whether you have to wait. So yeah, I I see your point. Um, and probe would work in the in the second pile I proposed in place of the second street race, of course, but. By including probe there, you make yourself vulnerable to mind break trap. So there's true, yeah, there's true. situationally better and situationally but worse. If they counter mind break trap, I mean, if they counter probe, fine, right? I if, was just gonna say, yeah, if you if, probe them and you see that they have mind break trap, well, then you know to just say go. Yeah, so exactly. So either it's way, not a it's not a terrible loss. No. What you're losing is time, right? And given that your opponent is on apparently dredge but if they're if they're on dredge then you don't have much time if they're on hollow vine you have a couple more turns you can work with but even if they're on dredge they're not going to win on turn two very likely Um, you can and you can evaluate that by what they discarded yeah Yeah. so um very interesting so so that that's just to get your juices going um hopefully a lot of our listeners came to the same conclusion but the point is that with just a draw spell and you know basically a way to get a black lotus in your hand you can win pretty easily post doomsday with Thassa. The the win is very compact. So. <laughs> Absolutely, this demonstrates that there are multiple approaches, multiple piles that would win the game right there. At which point, as usual, it becomes about playing around what your opponent has. Great. Well, let's move on to our second scenario then, Kevin. Are you ready? I am. I'm glad that we were able to talk about uh, a lot of doomsday there because we've got at least one more doomsday scenario coming down the pike. But for now, we're going to pivot. To a scenario I call sequencing artifacts. Ah, uh, sequencing one of the one of the <laughs> bellwether one of the favorite bellwethers of our <laughs> scenario podcast. Yes, this one I have to credit to Rich Shea because it's one that he um, encountered. I slightly modified it, but it's one he encountered at the Vintage Championship last year, and I I've tucked it away for precisely this moment. Nice. So here we go. This is he, he encountered this, and he was like, "Man, I do not know what to play it." So I thought I would bring it to our audience. Your opening hand, which I've sorted for you to help to be helpful, and you're playing Workshop Aggro, is Ancient Tomb, Mana Vault, Strip Mine, Arcbound Ravager, Mystic Forge, Phyrexian Revoker, and Sphere of Resistance. You are on the play against an unknown opponent. What's the play and why? <laughs> Fascinating. 
And I don't have an answer to this, but I wonder if the answer to this changes given the environment then versus the environment now, but I'll set that aside for the moment. This is one of those workshop hands that we are want to talk about a fair bit in these kind of contexts, which has access to basically all of its non-land plays, right? You could choose any one of these to play between Ravager, Forge, Revoker, and Sphere. And each one of them has its benefits and its drawbacks. You have Ancient Tomb and Strip Mine. So you have access to between one, two, three, and four mana on the first turn. Right. In different so configurations. You could, you could theoretically play one of the two mana creatures and a sphere on turn one. Definitely. And that play has a lot of value. It always has. You know, that's kind of a that's kind of a baseline benefit of the Ravager shops and, and workshop aggro decks for years in the past is that you could play a threat and a sphere on the first turn. It's it's really hard for a lot of decks to answer that. That said, you also have access to Mystic Forge, which is one of the most dominant and powerful workshop cards in the past several years, if not ever, <laughs> honestly. And you also have Phyrexian Revoker, which is a key role player. If it's an unknown opponent, in my opinion, the stock of Phyrexian Revoker goes way down. It puts it at the bottom of this list of, th- of options. Yes, there are plays that you could make in the blind, which have some merit. Namely, Black Lotus, um, Dak Faden, right? There's some things that you could name in the blind that would be valuable. Against an unknown opponent in the modern metagame, I would say that's fourth on the list of options. Playing just Sphere by itself is also interesting, but it also hampers you a fair bit because it reduces your ability to play Mana Vault and subsequent threats on the next turn. It also makes it difficult for you to cast Forge and abuse it and... So it is not a zero option. It's very good against many opponents, namely Dredge, PO, that kind of thing, and Xerox, honestly. And it's pretty good in the mirror as well. But Just Sphere, in my opinion, is in third place on the list. In my opinion, the two things that you're balancing against is, okay, there are three things you're balancing against. One is Ravager Go. One is Mystic Forge Go, assuming you don't have zero mana artifacts on top of your library. And the third is Sphere Plus Ravager. Sphere plus Ravager and Mystic Forge both involve playing Ancient Tomb and tapping Mana Vault, thereby investing a fair bit of your cards in whatever play you make. With Strip Mine, you still have a turn two play, even if you play Sphere. Yes, absolutely. And because you have Ancient Tomb plus Strip Mine, it means that even if you play Sphere and Ravager on the first turn and your Mana Vault is tapped for quite a while, I would say, you still have access to three mana, which is required to play Ravager. And first turn Sphere followed by second turn Ravager is a pretty standard and strong play for Workshop Aggro. It means if your opponent goes land Mox, possibly multiple Mox in our land Lotus, which is a common response to turn one Sphere, then you have the ability to counteract that and buy back some tempo. And that that combination in and of itself can be game winning. That Ravager plus Revoker can start attacking for four, and that could be almost enough, barring some reasonable top decks on your part. So that's that's pretty attractive as a baseline. Mystic Forge in a post-restriction environment is an interesting animal because it's very powerful. Right. And if your control-playing opponents like Xerox or Bug don't have a, a fairly immediate. immediate answer to it, yeah, it can just win the game on its own. Yes. And so you're, you're faced with a bit of a gambit there because that threat, unanswered, is good enough, effectively, but it, but it almost does, all the time. It does take a few turns to get it going. So. That's right. That's right. And your opponent can answer it, right? A force of will or a force of vigor are good answers to that turn one Mystic Forge. Again, barring a string of zero cost 
or artifacts off the top of your library. And then we must consider the mirror, right? The mirror is a non-zero uh, situation in Vintage for the last many, many years. And as such, turn one Mystic Forge is very, very difficult to answer in the mirror, right? Yes. Barring your opponent's own Mystic Forge and possibly disruptive spheres, etc., it's pretty hard to beat a resolved Mystic Forge on the other side of the table from the workshop Yeah, mirror. you can revoker it or play Null Rod, but it doesn't stop the Forge from allowing them to... <laughs> Go crazy. That's right. It Just doesn't doesn't cut off the primary card advantage aspect. Yeah. So all things being equal, I think that there's a philosophical element to how one approaches workshop aggro and how you view it in the average or median matchup in the environment at this at play here. I'm the sort of player who grew up on Mishra's workshop decks being primarily prison decks, primarily mana denial decks first and foremost. But Mystic Forge throws that model on its head, and so my instincts are to play Ancient Tomb, Mana Vault, Arcbound Ravager, Sphere of Resistance, because I find that that's best against the broadest range of opponents, and it has the combination of multi-spell, the combination of being disruptive and aggressive, and it uses a lot of resources in a very aggressive way. But I acknowledge that Turn 1 Mystic Forge will win some games that my opener cannot or will not. I want to hand it over to you, Steve. Well, I, I want you to get to a conclusion. So what's your preferred line? Oh, sorry. Well, my, my conclusion is is Ravager plus Sphere. It's not as explosive as Mystic Forge, but it's still a fantastic opener that will disrupt most opponents in the metagame. And yeah. from, from that setup, especially given that you've got a Tomb and another land and to play Revoker on the next turn, yeah. you're pretty much set up to disrupt almost every deck in the format. I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, there's a big part of me that just wants to go bonkers with Mystic Forge. <laughs> but Attractive. Mystic Forge loses to Force of Will. You've lost all this tempo, and you've invested the Mana Vault. Um, you all, there's, there's no guarantee it'll even generate that much advantage for you. Um, you know, it'll probably get you a minimum of one additional card by turn two if it resolves, but there's no guarantee that it can get you much more than that. Um, yeah. And if you play Forge and your opponent just explodes off the board on turn one, you know, then what? Whereas with with Ravager plus Sphere, you have the f- the follow-up play of Revoker plus Stripmine is incredibly compelling. And you still have you still have the Forge in your back pocket for later on, so... I think that's where I land, but I, I have to admit that the Forge is incredibly attractive. It's a very <laughs> close second do- second option. You pointed out a good thing, and that is that the Forge takes a little bit of time. Barring some high variance, good pulls on your part, the Forge actually takes some time to realize. A turn, maybe two, to really start paying off. Modern control decks are equipped to answer the Forge quickly between Shattering Spree and Force of Vigor. Even if you're control playing opponent does not have a force of will for your forge there's a decent chance that they have another one of their removal spells online immediately on their first turn grudge yeah yeah and so there's a reasonable chance that even if you're playing against control where the forge is amazing you could realize almost no benefit from it and as you said you're investing a lot in the mana vault too i like the mana vault plus ravager play because it also minimizes the negative impacts of mana vault given the presence of ravager Well, let us know if you disagree with us. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't really talk much about Revoker out of the gate, but that also is an option. You'd probably be naming Black Lotus, right? Yeah. Without knowing your opponent, Black Lotus seems like basically the only reasonable name there. And that's not, again, unless Black Lotus is critical to the situation or some kind of functional linchpin to the board you've presented, just naming Black Lotus in the blind I don't think is a very good use of Revoker. Fair enough. 
especially given that you've got other pretty powerful options, right? If Revoker was your only turn one play with the hand, well, that's a different animal, but it's not. All right. Now, our next scenario is pivoting. So we've done a scenario from the perspective of Doomsday and now from the perspective of Workshops. Our third scenario is going to, is credited to Travis Hilly, who posted this on Twitter, and he was playing Dredge, okay? So you're piloting Dredge, and your opponent is playing Workshop Control, specifically Stacks, which has seen a lot of play on, on Magic Online lately. The Golas Stacks decks are really somewhat popular. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, so you you unmask your opponent on turn one, and and by the way, the rest of your hand is Force of Negation, Mental Misstep, Prized Amalgam, and Bizarre Baghdad. So you pitch presumably a black spell, and obviously a black spell or a gold spell, and you have four cards left in your library. So you mulligan this apparently to six, and there's no other cards in your graveyard, but there are eight cards exiled: seven from a Serum Powder and one from the black spell you just pitched to unmask, and you see. Ensnaring Bridge, Lodestone Golem, Mock Sapphire, Smokestack, Sphere of Resistance, Buried Ruin, and Mishra's Workshop. The question is, what do you take? Obviously, the last two cards, Buried Ruin and Mishra's Workshop, are not takeable. But Ensnaring Bridge, Lodestone Golem, Mock Sapphire, Smokestack, and Sphere of Resistance are all options. Assume this is a pre-board game, so you probably don't have Force of Vigors. Um, we could reevaluate that, assuming we do in our deck, but obviously we have neither Force of Vigor nor a green spell in hand. Kevin, what do you take, and why? Wow, this is fascinating. I love this. <laughs> there, are, there are just so many interacting things to consider. Obviously, Force of Negation informs your selection here very strongly. Right. Force of Negation only applies to Ensnaring Bridge, Mox Sapphire, Smokestack, and Sphere Resistance from your opponent's hand. It does not apply to Lodestone Golem. Effectively, your opponent has redundant Sphere effects between Golem and Sphere Resistance. You could effectively lock them out of Sphere Resist effects by unmasking Lodestone Golem and then Force of Negationing Sphere of Resistance. Yes. Meaning that you could cast other spells this game. But my question is, how important is that to you? How important is it casting other spells when you're about to play Bizarre and Bizarre down to only two cards in your hand? Right. Assuming your Bizarre activation discards the prized amalgam you're holding and whatever other two cards you find, you're going to pass the turn with Force of Negation and Mental Misstep in your hand, meaning you're going to counter one spell this game and probably only one spell this game. For the rest of the game, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. And so I find myself wondering if Lodestone Golem or Sphere of Resistance are particularly important. Which to me suggests that perhaps Ensnaring Bridge or Smokestack are the, the key choices. Obviously, Ensnaring Bridge, especially pre-board, is particularly difficult for Dredge to answer. There's, you know, Dredge is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, reasons why Ensnaring Bridge is even in this deck, in the main deck, right? That yes. And, and yes. Workshop Aggro. And so this is priority number one, right? Ensnaring Bridge is simply priority number one. Yes. But if you take Ensnaring Bridge with... Um, your unmask, your opponent, and you, then you play Bizarre and activate it, your opponent is heavily incentivized to play Lodestone Golem on their first turn because they know that you have fewer counters than average that can counter a Lodestone Golem. Yes. And that would be the situation they'd and be you, faced with. And you can't even force of negation it. Exactly. However, there's a funny wrinkle here, and that is, <laughs> in that situation, you could Lodestone Golem, or sorry, you could force of negation the Mox Sapphire. Right thereby keeping the golem off the table. Right. In which situation, though, you're still facing a sphere of resistance, which would be your opponent's backup plan, and that's almost just as bad. 
arguably worse, actually. Your dredge deck is actually better at facing a lodestone golem because you have creatures that can yes. block and kill it. Trade. And so sphere of resistance is arguably worse. If you don't take ensnaring bridge here and then you play bizarre and activate it, your workshop playing opponent might properly surmise that ensnaring bridge is actually the best card in their hand and they might go workshop sphere resistance Lead with sphere go yeah. yes and have the ensnaring bridge as a backup plan for the next turn which you would be in my estimation pretty hard pressed to disrupt the only way you could stop it at that point would be if you were to draw exactly wasteland or strip mine play it and say go well the other <laughs> and force of negation the, the, the bridge other on the next turn the other possibility just to f continue on this line of reasoning if you were to strip out the golem and then plan to counter the sphere that they play, and assuming they're going to lead on turn one with sphere and turn two with bridge, there yeah. is a non-trivial chance, though it's not clear that you might be able to cabal therapy the bridge next turn. Now, the problem is that mm. you don't have a dredger. Yeah, so, absolutely. So that, that so the whole the whole line, yeah, is strongly contingent on what the next two cards in your library are. Right. Or I would argue the next four cards in your library right, because you're right. going to bizarre in your upkeep probably. So yes, you make a, a great point there and you're dealing with a lot of incomplete information as a dredge player, which is common, of yeah. course. But, but the so, uncertainty, it's not just incomplete. It's a good degree. It's a good degree, degree of uncertainty and variance because you just, if you had a dredger, then there would be uncertainty, but it would be, there would be a narrower range of possibilities. Yeah. There's one other thing that I want to consider too, and that is you've looked at your workshop opponent's hand and they don't have Wasteland or Strip Mine, and that suggests, that doesn't guarantee, but it suggests that you're going to get perhaps two, maybe more activations out of your Bazaar of Baghdad, which gives you some inevitability, right? Yeah. There, if, if you have some inevitability, if you have two, three, four activations of Bazaar here, their Lodestone Golem and Sphere Resistance are not going to win them this game. Right. Right. And they, if they draw and don't see a, an effective card against Dredge, might surmise that their best card in their hand is either Bridge or Smokestack, ironically, and, and have to pivot that way. So to me, that suggests that the one way that you really reliably lose this game is if they have Ensnaring Bridge. You can beat everything yeah. else. Yeah, I think, so you're saying take the Ensnaring Bridge, right? I'm suggesting exactly that, and then react accordingly depending on how they sequence their next turn. Um, you may just have to force of negation a mock sapphire to yes. narrow their options. Yes. And even then, you're still facing a sphere, but that's okay. Bazaar of Baghdad De defeats sphere of resistance, right? And it theoretically, it theoretically de defeats a smokestack too, but it, a lot depends on you finding <laughs> you finding some yes. in the next. Well, in that case, six cards or so. So I I feel exactly that way, and. The good news is, is that Force of Negationing that smokestack lets you see an another at least two cards yeah. to get deeper into that plan. So because I you're exactly right. If you don't find a dredger or a, a narcomiba, well, you, you have to find a dredger. But if you don't find a dredger in the next four to six cards, you can lose to smokestack. But the odds favor you in that scenario. So I think that you are correct. I think what I would take is ensnaring bridge, and then I would probably I would just play the bazaar and pass. And then I would probably force of negate. If he goes shop Sapphire, I would probably force the Sapphire. Mm -hmm. If he just plays Sphere before playing the Sapphire, I would force the Sphere. Yep. So I basically, would yeah, you force the first non-land thing they play. Right. And then on their end step, you have to force anyway because you want to end step activate Bazaar. <laughs> so, Naturally. So you're going to do that. It, it feels weird force of negationing 
a mock sapphire, but that's the world we're living in, in this scenario. <laughs> now, I think it is the best use of your resources in that particular scenario. Now, if you're post-board and you have Force of, force of Vigors in your deck, does that change? Would you, would you this materially change your, your decision? It and changes it, the calculus. Didn't, Travis didn't yeah. say whether this was pre-board or post-board, so, you know, we don't It changes don't the calculus a fair bit in the sense that your bizarre activation, well, and it doesn't change it very much because your bizarre <laughs> activation would have to find exactly Force of Vigor and a green card in order to oh, well, in order to make any kind of other line attractive. And even then, your opponent has access to two playable sphere effects on the first turn, which makes Force of Vigor still dead. Well, here's here's what <laughs> here's what I think. It, I I don't now. I'm in disagreement with you. I think it does materially change the situation in this respect. Mm. Ensnaring Bridge is no longer a undefeatable in, trump. If you have Granted. four Force of Negation, four Force of Vigors in your deck, it can be overcome. But here's the trick. If you aren't playing any wastelands or strip mines or petrified fields, then you can't destroy it if there's a sphere in play, which means that the spheres become more important than the relatively more important than the bridge. Yeah. Which means you take in conclusion that exactly. I would be more inclined to take the golem and then force the sphere. However, that doesn't mean that's what I would do. It just means I would be more inclined to do that. I think it's more less it's less clear cut if this is a post board scenario. And yeah, I, I mean, because you can just flood the zone, right? You can flood the the board with zombies and stuff like that, and then just wait and strip yeah. their hand and so on. Um, assuming you keep cabal therapies in, you might not keep cabal therapies in against against workshops. Um, the uh, the one reason not to do that though, and just go for the the bridge, is because um, number one, you might just want to win through tempo, right? So you might sure. want it to just like it could. Like it's theoretically possible that all four force of vigors are on the bottom thirty cards of your deck, right? I mean, <laughs> or, or or bottom thirty five or bottom forty. So that would be a problem. The second thing is that um, it's also possible that like if you give them more time searching for your your force of vigors, they have more time to find Tormod's crypts or a <laughs> tabernacle, right? So the tempo not matters not just in terms of where your force of vigors are located but the time they need to actually find more answers and, and have more draws. Um, so it's hard to say, right? It depends It depends on how valuable you think those spheres are. Um, if they, for example, have a Graph Digger's Cage on the next turn um, and the sphere is there to protect it, then you really need to kit the sphere, right? Because <laughs> then you need you need to be able to destroy the Graph Digger's Cage. So to some extent, it depends on what they've sideboarded and you know so on and so forth. But I think post-board, it becomes yeah. a much closer question. I agree that it has to factor into your equation, and you've cited the proper reasons for it. I would simply add that the whole, the whole notion that Force of Vigor is an option is predicated on the notion that there is a Force of Vigor in the top four to six cards of your library, and the numbers do not favor that. Oh, well, I'm not saying only that's that, not true, it has to be though. A force, I'm well, that. it has to be a Force of Vigor and a green card in the top four to six cards of your library for that to even be an option. Over the long term, yes. I mean, if the play, if the game's going to go long, four, five, six, seven, eight turns, then yeah, you could draw into it. But I think, given what you have in front of you, which is a guaranteed counterspell for a non-creature, even post-board, I would make the line I would the, the pre-board but, line but I described. But that's not necessarily true, Kevin, because you could you could theoretically say, okay, I'm going to take. Let's say we took um, the lodestone golem, mm -hmm. and 
they decide to play turn one uh, sphere and you force it, right? Yeah. You could actually be, you could, on your end step, draw and discard dredgers, dredge to try and hit a cabal therapy in the narco amoeba. And then if you, if you succeed in that, you strip the bridge. If you fail, then you shift, then you actually, it could help you in this, in this sense. Number one, you increase the odds that you can put a shambling shell or a grave troll in your graveyard. And mm-hmm. then you've dug a little bit deeper to try and find another, you know, one of your force of vigors. So you, what you can do at that point is pivot. If they, if on turn two, all they do is play ensnaring bridge, then you can just use the bazaar to try and find force of vigor. And once you found it, then just dredge the shell from your graveyard into your hand. Some of your points I agree with, but I'd like to point out that you described that scenario as digging deeper to find force of vigor. I understand when, that they're, I understand they're equally Yeah, when that's not accurate. Yeah, I know, I know. You're only plus one card in that whole exchange. But you are, if you, but you do have to find both the force of vigor and a green card. And my point which is, is that, my point. Yeah, but yeah. my point is that that dredging can actually help you satisfy half of those conditions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you've got five so, dredgers in your deck that, that satisfy the other half of the right. equation. Completely agree. Right. Yeah. So you don't and, actually not, have to get the second the second card into your hand immediately. If no, you've I, been I'm with one you, of them, but, you've but functionally why, found it. Yeah, but that's why I said that this whole notion is predicated on the idea that there is a force of vigor in the next four to six cards and a green card. And that green card can be basically any other green card. Yeah, the dredge cards satisfy that to a higher degree than just being a card in those six. Because you could find, for example, a thug and dredge into a shell. So the, the green card is easier to satisfy than the average deck. So it's the, you have to weight the numbers that way. But it doesn't change the fact that one of those cards has to be a force of vigor. And the numbers don't favor that. But Kevin... You take any, but if you, you, take any, you take any one or two draw steps out of a randomized library from that point. Agreed. It doesn't matter how much you've dredged. It doesn't matter how much you've dredged. The numbers are but, still very much not in your favor. But what I was saying is, suppose on their end step... You know, after forcing the sphere, you draw and you say, let's say you draw a stinkweed imp and a shambling shell. In your upkeep, you dredge stinkweed imp, and then it hits another stinkweed imp. You know, and then you up draw step dredge stinkweed imp. You've dredged fifteen cards right yeah, there. Yeah, that favors the therapy it, play. Exactly, yes, that's my point. Is that so, no? I get you. So, but the, you also you also started this analysis with it depends on whether or not you kept therapy in. So. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and I genuinely don't know the answer to that. Well, I don't know how I, I the average dredge player I, does. Yeah, I, well, I'm not the average dredge player, but I am a dredge player frequently. Um, and I sometimes only leave w- one Cabal Therapy in against shops. <laughs> Just because the reason one yeah. is because if you dredge deep enough, you'll hit it. And there's enough times where you'll, you know, you might want to hit one card because sometimes shops plays like a Ravenous Trap or something like that, you know? So. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, so in a scenario or, or, like or that. Also, you also, the other reason to keep one therapy in is because if you need a sacrifice outlet to try and yeah. begin splitting up, you know, generating yeah. zombies, splitting open your creatures and generating zombies. Um, yeah. What, anyway. I'm, what I'm hearing is simply that the odds are low. The odds are less than 50% and I think significantly less. <laughs> to to find either yeah. the therapy or one of your I, four I force think, of negation or, uh, force of vigor so you yeah. you would still you would still take the the bridge there yeah i think i would i probably would as well but i also yeah. play wastelands in my um dredge deck so the spheres are less impactful for me anyway yeah so that 
I consider that to be standard at this point. I think that that innovation on your part has become the norm. I mean, I when I face Dredge and or Hollowvine anymore, I would expect to well, see five waste slash strip on their side. Yeah, Hollowvine, of course. In Dredge, it's still, I think, less common. Um, okay. And I split mine between main deck and sideboard. But interesting well, scenario. It, that went a bit deeper yeah. than I thought. So Let me put it another way. I don't think that the best Dredge deck right now doesn't have wasteland and strip well, line because the <laughs> the common xerox decks the decks that the, 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 the top two xerox decks that just won the last two major events both have three tabernacles in their sideboards yeah i i'm with that you. is the standard I'm weapon right now and it's also such a huge trump in the mirror it's ridiculous naturally yeah and a so, great tempo play against shops and other decks yeah so let's move to scenario four all right you ready i am this is the last dredge scenario so technically several of these have involved dredge but in a few of these cases, Dredge has been on the opponent side. So this, at least in the first scenario, which was a doomsday scenario. Th- now, I've included this because I thought this was so bizarre and, and unusual and also so illuminating in what this scenario brings into focus, Kevin. Okay? so Awesome. So this is actually a Dredge mirror match scenario that I encountered sometime last year. Nice. And this is what basically happened. Um, my opponent had bizarre... Uh, and I wastelanded it. But before I did, their board, this is their board. Their board is hollow one times two and ley line of the void with three cards in hand. Okay? <laughs> wow. How how early in the game are we here? Is this probably, turn one? Probably turn two because they, they've done this and I, they've, I've wastelanded them. Um, Got it. My life is 20. Or okay, our so life it is, is your first or second 20. turn. Yeah. Yeah. And our board is bizarre plus ley line of the void. Wow. Okay, so this is dueling ley lines, um, but I bizarre, and then our hand is. Are you ready for this? Okay. Force of will, force of will, narcomoeba, force of vigor, and shambling shell. Oh, fascinating. Yes. So, um, basically, the question is, what do you hit with force of vigor, and why? Now, a little bit more context to help you with the answer. There, are, you have forty-two cards in our library. And one of the Force of Vigors is already exiled along with 11 other cards. So there are only two Force of Vigors left in the library, in your library. Also, assume, and this is the tricky part, assume that I've that we've cited out most, if not all, of the Hollow Ones. Because the, the reason is because there's so many cards to bring in. I brought in, like, I think, let's just assume, like, four Ley Lines and four, three or four Ravenous Traps and three Ley Line of Sanctity. So there are probably... Hmm at most one or two hollow ones in the deck, probably zero though. But assume between zero and one hollow ones in the deck. In in our deck, Kevin. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is why it's so interesting because it really brings into focus what what matters strategically and tactically now. So the question is really, you know, do you force a vigor both hollow ones or one hollow one in the ley line of the void? And if so, why? It seems to me that the the primary axis here is if you remove one of their hollow ones in the ley line, does your bizarre defeat their other hollow one? Fast enough. Yeah, that's the yeah. trick. <laughs> and I, you're going to have to educate me here, I think, because my instincts are that a bizarre against a non-bizarre dredge playing opponent, and pl- especially since you have ley lines, so they can't even top deck a bizarre to really get out of this situation. I feel like your bizarre versus their hollow one, their single hollow one, favors you powerfully. I 
It doesn't take much for you to overcome a single hollow one as long as you've got Bizarre going. Well, you have, then you'll have five turns functionally, right? That's what you have. Which seems like but, but an eternity. But we have no dredgers <laughs> so far. Zero. Yeah. And I, I get they you. could I always get draw a Ravenous Trap, a Tormod's Crypt, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Another Bizarre to try and find those. They have three cards have, in their hand. Yeah. I have a bit of insight here that you have provided me, but I don't know how to integrate it. And it's because you shared with me how important decking can be in the mirror. <laughs> and... I so I feel like that is an, uh, an element at play here. I feel like yeah. there's a non-zero chance that just removing their two hollow ones is pretty relevant. Right, because you and, have Leyline of the Void, and they have yeah, basically two ways to win after that. Two more hollow ones left in their deck with no bizarre but, right now. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What you've just said is true, but your situation sounds like it's even worse than that because they have Leyline of the Void. And you have admittedly one or two maybe hollow ones in your whole library left. So assuming you force a vigor their two hollow ones, you're starting with a bizarre in play, which effectively does nothing. It doesn't doesn't help you until you get to like eight <laughs> cards in your hand and you just want to sculpt. But you already have force, 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 narco. You already have five cards in hand that are five great cards. You're not going to be, I should say, you're not going to be able to sit on this and just draw go until they die. Because well, I was they, just going to say that have, because you've they have more cards in their library. Yes, they have 49 and you have 42. And also you have Bizarre and they don't, which means I feel like you are the aggro. I think you're the aggro deck. Even though you have a larger hand with great yes. control cards right yes. now, I think you're the aggro deck in this situation. You're behind on cards, and by that I mean cards in library, which means you don't have inevitability. So you have to be the aggro deck. You have to overwhelm the one, the one hollow one that you leave behind. And you have to just hope that you can kill them before they find suitable answers. On the other hand, on the other hand, Kevin, if yep. you hit both hollow ones, you <laughs> have the bizarre, which means that you can you can you will be able to presumably sculpt your hand, even if you don't activate bizarre every turn. Yeah. Right? You could presumably sculpt your hand, and you you it gives you all the time in the world. Right? I mean, the I would agree. You don't. You can be the aggro player without activating bizarre every turn. Right. So you could, for example, but to your point, go ahead. You only have five turns. But if you take, I'm saying, if you take away both hollow ones, then you have more than five turns. That's my oh, point. Oh, I see your point. So if you I take both you hollow ones and, and just assume that your plan is to is to basically uh, dig until you can remove, you you can do one of two things. You can dig into unmasks to keep them off of force, forces, even though they don't have yeah. bazaars. Yeah. And if they do find a bazaar, then you can dig for more wastelands with bazaar to keep that off. But basically your plan is to dig... To, to give yourself more than five turns to find a f the basically your third force of vigor. Interesting. So you're effectively taking the control role. Right. Because if you cast, if you resolve this force of vigor right now, the boards are, the situation is Leyline equal. mirror, but you have bizarre. It's a line mirror with three cards hand each, but you have bizarre. Yes. And you're saying that enables the control role enough that you would take that approach. I'm not saying I don't know what to do. I'm as, I, that's why I make this as a scenario. But I, but yeah. I think the trade-off is five turns, right? To try and create, it's basically you have to be able to get Icarid and some some tokens going within five turns without having seen a single dredger. I think that that favors you. I really do. Yeah, I think but, the math favors you. I think the math favors you, but it's far from a given. I mean, and it compli yeah. it's complicated by the fact that, you know, in five draws, your opponent could draw a bizarre or another Ravenous Trap. If they draw a Ravenous yeah. Trap, you're probably just dead. 
<laughs> Here's the other thing. There's though. a good chance. Here's There's the other a very thing, good though. chance. If you hit both hollow ones, then you're not under a five turn constraint. So then you could take nine turns and accomplish the same thing in nine turns. That's what I'm, you know, it, from a different route, which is that you can yeah. sculpt your hand basically looking for forces. Then what happens is here's the thing you need to be able to hit a force of vigor and a green spell and kill their ley line and have enough library left where you can attack them for 20 damage with, with Icarids. So if you're under, yeah. if you, let's say the, the third force of vigor is, let's say, your 25th card. You might have just 20 cards left in your library. You probably have enough to do it, right? Because you yeah. only need like a prized amalgam, a prized amalgam and one Icarid probably to do it. But, but if the third force of vigor is in 15 cards, you might, you know, in your 15th from the bottom, you might not be able to have, you might not have enough. You might not be able to get there. I think the critical variable in but this. But you don't need your third force of vigor to win this game. You need the third force of vigor to win the game if, if you hit both hollow ones here is my point. Um, because oh, one of your... The f well, you need the third force of vigor or one of the hollow ones. Assuming you don't have hollow ones, then... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I think your primary advantage here is that you have Bizarre and they don't, and you need to leverage that. Which means... You your think, Bizarre is better yeah. than their one hollow one. Which means one. you would just, take the ley line and the, one of the hollow ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even with zero hollow ones in your deck, or just one. Even with zero hollow ones, I would yeah. still take those odds, yeah. Because you're drawing three cards a turn to their one, and yeah, that's your primary advantage. I think that's probably right. Yeah. It's interesting, though. I mean, you, you've elucidated some fantastic uh, aspects to the equation. It is not a given, but I think with all the, the factors considered, I think your primary advantage must be, must be leaned on in this situation, and that's the bizarre. Great. Well, that was a It cool is interesting, though, how... Yeah, it is interesting, though, how this brings into play all the aspects of the dredge mirror, right? The sideboarding plan, what you've brought out, what your role is in the matchup, and how the various cards interact. Their hollow ones versus your bizarre. It's all very fascinating. Yeah, really is interesting. Okay, so now I'm going to get us to a very intense doomsday mirror scenario. So this scenario... Another mirror? Doomsday mirror. So this dooms doomsday scenario is just called doomsday because it's going to be doomsday for someone <laughs> so this has happened this happened to me last week opponent plays turn one polluted delta fetches an underground sea plays dark ritual doomsday and and casts a mock sapphire and then actually passes the turn my hand is underground sea polluted delta dark ritual demonic tutor force of will thassa doomsday and yogmoth will what do you do good grief so I need to review this just for my own I'll, benefit. I'll, I'll you've, got two, you've got two lands. Uh, yeah, let me read ritual. it one more time for our audience. Yeah. Underground Sea, Polluted Delta, Dark Ritual, Demonic Tutor, and uh, Doomsday, Yogmoth's Will, and the two blue cards are Force of Will and Thassa. Thassa's Oracle. Good grief. This is intense, Steve. <laughs> this is real. This happened. This is fascinating. Okay, so what are your constraints? Mana is a, a strong constraint here, right? You don't have any accelerants other than Dark Ritual. So you're going to be playing a land this turn. It's going to be either a C or a Delta. Either way, you've got access to Underground C. You have Dark Ritual, so you could accelerate out any one of your other three black cards. Yes. Yogmoth's Will, which has very little benefit, if, if any. Demonic Tutor, which is attractive. You could go get a number of things here. Or Doomsday yourself. So Yogmoth's Will at its face seems like a non-starter. There's just no reason to go Ritual Will here. That right. is not unless you've done something else first. So in my eyes, your choices are um, 
uh, land go is an option, right? You're just mm-hmm. leaning on force of will. It seems very unlikely to succeed <laughs> because I'd like far more defense than that if possible. So you're, uh, what I'm really looking at here is, do you have a doomsday pile that you feel is superior to their doomsday pile, which is uh, past the turn pile by definition because you have no starter here. You have no way to cycle or draw into the top card of your library. So it's mm, either that not, or... Not, not for sure on that, but but keep going. Um, I'm sorry. Am I missing something? Do you, you don't have a, you so, don't have a cycler. So you could you could go dark ritual, demonic tutor, black lotus, yogwill, replay. The- oh yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I agree with you, but my point was just going land ritual doomsday is not no, going to result in no, you no, seeing no. any more cards no, no. this turn. No, that no, that's true. my point. Yeah. yeah. So what that tells me is the real choice here is land ritual, demonic tutor. Yes. That opens up a world of options. Yes. Yeah, so th- to your point, you could ritual into Black Lotus, which opens up both Doomsday and Yogwill as lines, although Doomsday, it doesn't get you any further into the Doomsday line, it just gives you another black mana, so that's not different than Ritual Doomsday in any material sense. Um, but then, so what does Dark Ritual, Demonic Tutor, Black Lotus, Yogwill, o- Yogwill open up? Well, if that all resolves, then you have a black mana floating from the original Ritual DT, which means you have six black. Yes, you have, six, you have three black and three blue, or six black post will. Oh, right, three black and three blue. Sure, sure, sure. Post Sorry, I, and I misstated that because three black and three blue is far superior, obviously, because that means you could doomsday and then oracle. But here's but but doomsday and oracle in that situation doesn't get you any deeper. It just lets you look at a couple of cards and you're not winning the game. So I don't think that ritual DT Lotus will gets you any further. Well, I want to dig into that, but I want to point out a couple of a couple of things just as context okay. for our for our audience and for you. Number one, ancestral recalls value changes in a very double-edged, <laughs> a double-edged way when your opponent is played Doomsday. I see your point. <laughs> sure, that's fun. <laughs> yes, and, and it goes both ways, right? If they have, if they put ancestral recall on top of their library, they might want to just use it on you instead at, at a crucial moment. Like if you right. were to ancestral yourself, you know. You can very easily lose the game with some otherwise winning line on yes, the stack yes. because of their ancestral. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And vice versa. The second variable I want to point out is if we go ritual, DT, Lotus Will, Lotus Ritual, and we use the Lotus there, we will have exiled the Lotus, which means we can't put it inside a Doomsday pile. Which is a strong limiting factor. Yes. So those are the two things I just wanted to point out, but proceed. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good points. And and, and I, I was reaching the conclusion there that DT, the, so Ritual DT, Lotus Will, DT Ritual gets you to six mana, which is awesome. But you're left with just Force of Will, Thassa's Oracle, Doomsday. So you could Doomsday and then Oracle and look at the top two cards, but you're not any closer to winning, really, at that point. You haven't gotten any further than just playing Doomsday and saying go. The only thing you added to the equation was resolving an Oracle that just shuffles the the library. It doesn't do anything. So I don't think that DT for Lotus into Will there actually benefits you. So what I'm left with is what else could you DT for that would be material there? You have a hand this deck play how many thassa's oracles are in this deck two three two two yeah so you have the ability to pitch this thassa's oracle to your force to to stop them from winning and then set up a doomsday that still has your own oracle so that's definitely something so the next line i'm considering is what if you just ritual dt for duress to try and disrupt them that makes your force of will far more effective and it means that they any line that they had that was trying to win next turn is almost certainly stymied for at least a turn. 
it's not a sh- depending on how defensive their line was it could it could still be that you that they can win through a force of will if their line included if their line included their own flusterstorm for example so it's not a sure thing but my instincts are that it's very hard for them to win next turn if you just arrest them right now and you're set up for a decent mid game plan given that you've got access to two underground seas your own doomsday and a yogmas will with dt and R- ritual in your graveyard it means that you wouldn't have to draw much in the way of mana or cards to set up your own win at that point, especially if you've disrupted their win enough that they have to pass the turn maybe twice. That's a very real possibility that, that any Doomsday pile they assembled would have to pass the turn multiple times if you applied duress and force of will to it. So I think that's I think that's a reasonable baseline at this point, is just duressing them this turn. I'm trying to think if you can do any better than that right now. Can Ritual Demonic Tutor with a black mana floating get you anywhere else? It could get you... Well, it could get you a Vamp Tutor. That doesn't help. That's no different than DTing now. It could get you into another mana source. So it could get you into Black Lotus for, theoretically, Doomsday next turn. It could get you into Gush for... Oh, no, you can't Doomsday next turn without that. Yeah, in my opinion, Steve, what I've landed on is I can't think of another card I want to DT for that... That is going to trump, that is going to make me win and also trump their past the turn pile any better than disrupting them right now. So I feel like land DT, uh, land ritual DT duress is the way to set up and you're still banking a little bit on the future. So, so you, your conclusion is to get duress. I think it's a really interesting option. Another option that's similar, Kevin, would be to DT for misstep. Okay, sure. Their line is. Assuming they put okay. ancestral on top, but they may not, right? We don't know what they'll put on top. I'm, I'm sorry. I what did they do? They cast Delta for C and then Ritual Doomsday, and, and they, they cast a Sapphire. Sapphire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The presence of Sapphire. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very reasonable approach. Is that they are almost certain to go through a one mana spell to try and win the game, but it's not a sure thing, right? Because they could be going through a gush line that issues one mana spells. Could they not? Certainly. Isn't there a isn't there a gush line? If they had a second island, there's a gush line that wouldn't require any one mana spells on their side. That's right. Between Lotus and Oracle That's and and Flusterstorm, right. maybe. Yeah. yeah. But but the other thing is duress plus force is probably not going to win the game against an experienced Doomsday pile pilot. You're relying that, on something on the top. That's true. You would have to draw very well in the next one to two turns in order to still win on your own. So I agree with you there. It's definitely not a sure thing. My opinion is it's enough to disrupt them for one to two turns, and your hand is pretty strong, but it's two three mana spells that you would need to draw either a mana for mana source for or some convincing other good top deck. The good news is your deck is filled with those things. The bad news is it's still not as a sure thing. You're right against an experienced pilot. Their pile is almost certain to be resilient. Their pile is almost certain to still win the game if you give them three turns. I would guess. It, it occurs to me that one of the things I'm not considering is that if you take the DT Lotus Will line, you've got access to DT Th- again. Post Will, that's what I was going to say. That y- was my point. Yeah, so th- that line has more branches than I thought it did. It means that you've got access to Deplete DT plus Lotus again, yes. which means you could you could be Ancestraling right now. Yes, exactly. You, so could, y- you could you could go through Ancestral right so now. So what you could do is, is you, could, you could post Will play Lotus and Dark Rituals, so you've got your six mana, then you yeah. could use two black... Or you could use black and a blue, and you could get de- you could get ancestral recall. You would still need another black to be able to to DT. Here's something I think is ri- I think this I'll tell you what I think the best play is, Kevin. I okay. think the best play with this hand 
is and, and because he's doomsday i think this is he's played doomsday i think the best mathematical play is to play dark ritual demonic tutor for black lotus black lotus for yogmos will uh, black lotus into yogmos will replay black lotus and dark ritual but this is sacrifice the black lotus for black cast dt and then play necropotence oh i love it I didn't even and consider that the deck would have Necro. Because the the only thing you have to do is stop him from winning. You don't actually have to win. So presumably what you have to do is you have to counter Thassa's Oracle need, once, if not twice. Yeah, you twice. need double counter. Yeah. Yeah, you need double counter. More than, I think you're going to need more than double counter because imagine if he sets up a pile that's Gush. Let's He could easily set up a pile, Kevin, that he could Ancestral with protection, like with Flusterstorm protection, and then potentially yeah. Duress and Thassa. You know, so you you've got to yeah. be able to counter more than twice. <laughs> well, I think honestly, I I see your point, but I think that that more than two counters situation applies over multiple turns. Yeah, I think next turn you're good enough with double yes. counter, and that's because why I my would, my point is his pile is going to kick off with ancestral or gush, and if you counter that, you're buying yourself time, especially if you necro. Right, right? I would necro for like ten cards, eleven cards, just yeah, to try and get easily. tons of counter spells. Yeah, yeah, easily. You know, that's fascinating. Uh, to, for some reason, I didn't even consider that this deck had access to Necro. And that is the most disruptive line, I think, to your point, because it does both things, right? It disrupts your opponent and it sets you up to win almost immediately afterwards. On the other hand, Kevin, if you, there is another option. If you DT for like Probe, you could, you could kick off the Doomsday right there and still have mana left over. So you could, you could DT post oh, will. For, you know, a card that gets you the top card of your Doomsday pile, like an Ancestral. And you wow, would I was just going to say, can you can you do that with blue floating? But well, I don't problem, think you can. The problem is you need an additional black because you need black because you need the... the no, you can do it. You can do it. And here's how. You you land Ritual DT. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. floating a black. I know you where DT you're going for Lotus. This. You break Lotus for blue. blue. Yeah. And then you yeah. leave the blue floating pre-will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you float that blow through. Then you, post will you lotus for ritual. You've got five black and a blue floating. So you might be able to just win on the spot. But the, here's the problem with that. Problem is you can't put lotus in the pile. So you've got fascinating. Yeah. So you, you got a blue floating. So the next, so you you can resolve. You can uh, I'm sorry, probe into ancestral with a blue floating. So you, assuming yeah. your your library is four cards, the top card you could cast. You, well, you could you could you cast ancestral. So you've got a one card library. And three you could, demonic tutors. Yeah, basically, if you have sapphire, <laughs> no petal, sapphire petal, and Thassa, you're there. Well, you've got Thassa in your hand already. But you let's just assume you need that to, to pitch to force. You, you, you well, then it's the same thing though. You just yeah. have you just have sapphire petal. But oh wow, that's amazing! You, you just have sapphire petal blue card. Yeah, or sapphire petal Thassa. Same thing. You have two Thassas in your deck, so the second yeah, Thassa. that's right. Sapphire petal Thassa. Wow, that's fascinating, Steve. I never. Oh my word! I totally short sold the possibility here. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, but the trick—the real trick—is that you have to sacrifice pre-will loop. You have to sacrifice the lotus Second. for blue. Yeah. So I love it. So, but so I here's the it. thing. So I I was really on the fence. Do I go necro or do I just try and win? And um, I think the force of will in your hand is everything. I think yeah. I think that tells you you try and win right now. Right. It loses to if their hand it naturally had flusterstorm in it though, doesn't it? Yes, if they're holding saf if they're sapphire naturally have fluster, you're dead. Yeah. But you're dead regardless, so there's no point in even worrying about it. Well actually actually strike that. 
you're not entirely dead though because that turns on your force of will on whatever that their pile was assuming they have to use flusterstorm stopping you from winning you just have force of will online to fl- to counter whatever their first doomsday pile card was right yeah but so then what? You, well then you're probably behind because obviously they still have a four card library that they've selected and you have yeah an underground c and you've exiled several of your best cards <laughs> so you're probably still disadvantaged <laughs> yeah <laughs> So yeah, that's a good point. If they and the fact that they played that sapphire, it's not like it. It's not like it. It signals flusterstorm, right? You make that play regardless of whether or not you have flusterstorm. I think, but it's a small signal that they have flusterstorm. Let's put it that way. Fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, it goes I'm sorry. I I'm glad that you that you brought this around for me because I did not read that there was actually a turn one win line here <laughs> through probe. <laughs> well, that's incredible. So what you're telling me is that this deck, if it has access to ritual dt and one draw trigger has a yeah. has a oh, turn sorry. one win it doesn't no you don't need a draw trigger yeah the dt is the draw trigger yeah is the draw trigger yeah effectively so yeah wow that's fascinating <laughs> the deck is, i, I love mean it. the deck really did improve significantly with thassa's oracle it's just it enables so much it, it just it just yeah effectively it speeds the deck up by a mana well, and that's everything it's not just that it speeds the deck up by a mana it's just with you to trigger to trigger the maniac, you have to have an incredibly precise number of conditions, and that actually does not have to exist with Thassa because well, you can point. still have Thassa's two- Oracle is effectively the maniac and the draw trigger for the last two the- cards. Yes, that's right. So it represents <laughs> two cards from the five card stack. You're right. It, it's really unbelievable, is what it is. It's fascinating. <laughs> so then, so then, now that we've sussed out the fact that you have a turn one line here then it kind of becomes about how risk averse you are, yes. right? Because you can take because Necro is a very good defense and offense play. Yes. yes. And it's also a it's a line that's it's not resilient to Flusterstorm though. I guess that's I guess well, that's the, the conclusion can't I would be reach. countered by, you know, if they think you're just going in to do all this and all you do is DT for Necro and they think they're going to be stopping your like kill literally killing you with Doomsday. In other words like yeah. they're stopping like you g- yeah, but there's so many points along that line that Flusterstorm stops you, though, yes, right? Yes, but if, you're all stops- your, if your opponent is just doing Yogmoth's Will, and they go, you know, DT, and you think that they're going to, like, try and Doomsday, like, if you, look, if you can literally <laughs> win the game by by stopping the win, right, that might just be better yeah. than trying to, you know, like, you literally, you don't have to do any more work at that point, you know? <laughs> anyway. I see your point exactly, but put yourself on the other side of the table, right? If we swap the seats in this scenario, you have just gone land ritual, doomsday, sapphire, go, and you've got a flusterstorm, and if, you know your pile wins you the game next have, turn. If you think they have flusterstorm, then what you have to do is you have to go dark ritual, DT, duress. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is it, it has everything to do with how risk averse you are. Yeah. Because on the other side of the table, it doesn't take many spells into dark ritual, DT, Yogmoth's will for you to just fire off that flusterstorm, right? Yeah. What you that that line, even though but, Necro is immune to Flusterstorm, my point is the five spells preceding it aren't going to all resolve. But here's the thing: so assuming you do that, then they're going to go Ancestral Recall or Gush, and you have to counter either one because if they go Ancestral Recall, they could easily oh, yeah. just get just get Lotus right. Duress uh, Thassa. You know? <laughs> hey, I'm with you. Don't get me yeah. wrong. That's that brings me back to where I was a few minutes ago, which is if they spend their Flusterstorm stopping you from winning, your Force of Will is probably going to stop them from winning next turn. But then you're just behind, yeah. Because they've resolved Doomsday, they have more mana than you, and your draws are lame because so here's you've only the other got thing: two so, mana and, and a three mana spell in your but, hand. But here, here's the trick: suppose they built their library, ancestral recall, 
And then the second card is, I don't know, Duress or a Flusterstorm. And then the third card is Thassa and the fourth card is a Lotus. If they did that and you force the Ancestral, then you go land, go on turn two, and then they draw Duress. They Duress you. They're going to take your Doomsday, right? Yeah. Yeah. That situation still favors them. Yeah. That's... It's, yeah, it probably my point favors, is that scenario still favors them. It does be. It favors them. It depends on how they they set lined it up, honestly. Because well, you're not wrong, but yeah. I still think on average it favors if them. They if they put they're the Lotus on top they, of the Thassa, which they probably wouldn't do, but they might have made a mistake. You know, then you yeah. could actually potentially play Yogmas Will on turn three and then win. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's not as it's not a hundred percent zero percent situation. I'm just saying I think it strongly favors them. Yeah. You have to draw a pretty narrow band of things and they have guaranteed win coming in, in two to three turns. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's re- your deck is filled with haymakers, don't get yeah, me wrong. No, you can still win that yeah. game, but it's a narrow band. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably less than fifty percent. Yeah. Well, I have saved one bonus question for us, Kevin. Because the Doomsday piles have been so fun, you know. Look, we've done <laughs> we've done a Doomsday pile, we've done a workshop pile, we did a Dredge Mirror match, we did a Dredge Unmask against Shops, and we did a fascinating Doomsday Mirror. I have one more Doomsday scenario that okay. I wanted to throw your way. Are you ready for it? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, so it involves Necropotence and Doomsday, so it's called Doomsday's Necropotence. Here we go. You've got you've played How very original of you. <laughs> These descriptive. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you've got Necropotence in play, which you played the previous turn, and you necroed for six because your hand was so good. Um, you they they did some things. They're a blue white control player. Uh, a blue white. We don't know whether it's Esper or Jeskai or whatever, but they've got basically a big mana deck, maybe a PO deck. Mm-hmm. And um, so you've counted a couple things, and your hand is now just four cards on. Uh, but you also untap, play a land, and play a Mox Jet. So your hand, your board is Underground Sea, Underground Sea, Swamp, Jet, and Necropotence. And your hand is the following Mystical Tutor, Demonic Consultation, Force of Will, and Gush. Wow, that's a great hand. Yes. So you could obviously Demonic Consultation for Doomsday and play Doomsday and Gush. To try and win, right? Or you could mystical for Doomsday and gush, but then that leaves you with no starter, right? Yeah. And you also have Necropotence. So when you play Doomsday with Necropotence, things get really interesting. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I've, I don't, I've honestly never been in that situation I have, in my life. It's fun, <laughs> um, but it's also dicey because Doomsday takes half your life. So you, you know, it's you're putting yeah, yourself you're, at very well, low levels. Both of those resources become very sparse. Yes. <laughs> um, just curious what would you do wow so you've got four mana and you've got two different kind of tutor effects let me just say one quick thing the consult introduces some amount of risk because if you consult for doomsday and you happen to hit both remove both thassa's oracles you just could be dead so you're dead just dead are we making any allowances for what our opponent has it sounds like no but we don't know they're tapped down they have two tundras and a mox and a and a manifold key and they're all tapped down Okay, two tundras and a mox and a manifold key. So you said they're a big mana deck, which means they're th- they have some threat to go off yeah. vis-a-vis PO, and obviously they have some threat to just disrupt you. Here's the thing: we are a Thassa's Oracle deck, and we're holding demonic consultation. Yes, the combination of those two factors to me says that we have a linear path to victory here. Yes, you can 
And now mystical tutor is not ideal, but it's still something, right? You can yes. mystical for DT yes. and necro into it, but you're still passing the turn. And so you don't, I, uh, you, you have gush. So you could mystical DT <laughs> gush right now, but I don't feel like you have the sufficient mana. Do you still, you don't still have a land drop, do you? No. Okay. So mystical DT gush Thassa's Oracle consult to my math is a six mana play, yes. which means you don't have access to it this turn or- unless you go through some other creative means. Right. So you could mystical Yogmoth's will. Uh, you don't have another land drop, so you can't double gush. That doesn't that doesn't seem like it gets you anywhere. You could mystical DT Lotus. Nope, that doesn't get you anywhere. Then you're just a naked gush into something. So I feel like unless I'm missing something, I feel like this is a pass the turn situation. Does time walk change anything? You could mystical gush time walk right now, necro for a whole bunch of cards and see what you get. That has a, in my opinion, a pretty decent chance of paying off, but it's still just non-deterministic. That's just a way to draw a bunch of cards right now, which is obviously attractive given Necropotence, and you're at 14 life. So you could you could Mystical Gush, Time Walk, and then Necro for like 10 cards, and you would have a pretty high percentage chance to win next turn, but it's not deterministic. There is, but there's a there is there's another line you haven't hit on, and I didn't want to spoil. Well, I, see if you well, I haven't talked about. Yeah. Well, yeah, I haven't talked about Doomsday yet. So you could mystical doomsday right now. Well, you could you could mystical put doomsday on top. Then you'd have to gush into it, which means you could resolve it right now. But then the only starter you have is necropotence. <laughs> which these double tutor well, things are really funny. <laughs> yeah. So to my eyes, there's no way to to get access to doomsday right now without consulting for it. There's no way to get access to doomsday right now and start it. Unless you're consulting for it, but then that's not deterministic anymore. You could easily consult away both your oracles. Yeah. So I'm not seeing an a, a, an immediate line that's deterministic that doesn't require passing the turn. One thing that and if you're passing the turn, I feel like there's multiple lines. Yeah. If you can get a Thassa's oracle into your hand, then you can begin consulting more aggressively for different kinds of things. So uh, okay, I see your point. So let's think about that. So yeah. you, the, but the only way with a mystical tutor to get Thassa's Oracle in your just, hand, you have to go through DT. What if we just assume we? What if we just assume instead of mystical, this is a DT to try and simplify <laughs> this? Because I mean, it becomes quite similar, right? Um, it, it is. It's just that that sh- that just changes the mana considerations, right? right? But assume this is, you, d- is is just for the moment. Assume that the mystical is DT. You could tap. If you two. have DT, you, yeah, you've got four mana, which means you can have an Oracle in your hand with two mana up. Right, which means you and you have which means your life. consult can't yeah, and you have fourteen life, which means your consult can't go straight to doomsday this turn. Um, I, I I'm still missing even if it's DT that six mana play that I described before it still is a five mana play, and I don't see a way to get there again without passing the turn. What am I missing? You so can consult for Lotus at that point. Yes, that's what I was getting at. That's exactly what I'm getting at. So here's the thing. Here's the the very x variable. You have oh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, hold on, hold on. You, if you DT'd for Oracle right now, you'd have two mana left. Yes. You consult for Lotus, but all that does is give you a non-deterministic library size with Oracle and Gush in but, your hand. But, Kevin, you have 14 life with Necropotence in play. Okay, so it's still non-deterministic, but your point, I think what you're making is, is that then you have a very high chance of just being able to necro your library to nothing. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So I see your point. The, the, it really depends on where the black lotus is. If it's in the top six, you're you're not dead because you just you have necropotence, so you can't deck. Well, if it's you're in the top six, deck. then you win next turn. Yes. It, then you win next turn. 
But if it's not in the top, exactly, you're not dead. In fact, you're not only not dead, you win next turn. If it's, right, if but it is, you can't beat any kind of disruption. <laughs> if it's anything below the top six, then it depends on where it is. If it's, right. if it's you know, let's... If it's in the bottom 14, then you, just, you can win on the spot. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. The That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. How funny. So you can, it's, it's, and if it's not in the bottom 14, you're still going to pass the turn pile that, or not pile, but you're still going to pass the turn scenario that's really high percentage to win. Yes. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is there's a, it's, it's kind of like, um, if it's in the top six, you've got to pass the turn pile that wins. If it's in the, the intervening seven to whatever, you know, N minus 14, you have a pass the turn pile that's very high percentage to <laughs> yes. win. And if it's in the bottom 14, you win right exactly. now. Exactly. What a fascinating combination <laughs> of of outcomes. I love that. <laughs> That's why I wanted to throw it in there as the bonus. I have a bunch of more ex- a bunch of scenarios like that that are wacky and cool. I I didn't want to make this a whole doomsday show, but we could have easily <laughs> done that. Um but anyway, that is oh, that just really <laughs> highlights one of the f- one of the fun things that Thassa's Oracle brings to the table because I never considered the effect that that would have on Necro. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's fascinating. So yeah, demonic consultation becomes, you know, remove a, a semi-arbitrary amount of your library and then see where things land. Exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. That, it, necro, demonic consultation has always kind of been an all or nothing effect in vintage, right? If it works, you're winning now. If it doesn't work, you lose the game has been the historical precedent, right? Yes. Obviously, Labman has been here for a while, so there's, that's, that's non-zero effect. But now it introduces this interim middle ground where, <laughs> in this particular scenario, you know, values between n minus 14 and zero are valuable still. That's no fascinating. Doubt. I love that. I, I was trying to find, I have a record of all of these piles I built. I, I created a, a, a Google Sheets document. Um, and there was one game. So, one thing I just, you know, this obviously has not been a strategy podcast it's been a scenarios podcast <laughs> um but one thing i really like about doomsday in the current metagame is that it can really effectively ignore a lot of the main tactics in the metagame so for example collector's oof abrupt decay or um what's the new abrupt decay um assassin's, assassin's trophy, trophy Chal- uh, null rod those cards really are pretty irrelevant against you um yeah so it's really nice how you can ignore ignore those things uh, but my the point I was going to get is I actually had an interesting game, Kevin, where I had to build a doomsday pile, and I only had this was really interesting. I had a very limited number of life post doomsday, and I and I could play necropotence because I had so much mana. I could play necropotence um, before doomsdaying or or even after doomsdaying potentially. I think I had to do it before doomsdaying. I think it might have been like <laughs> a will into into necro and doomsday. I had that option. But yeah. if I did that, then I would I would either be able to draw all five cards and not be able to play Force of Will, or draw four of the five cards with Decrepotence and be able to Force of Will. <laughs> right, and I had right. to make a decision on what to do. I think I drew four cards and would be able to play Force of Will, but I think I still lost because my opponent did something completely unexpected. But <laughs> But basically... You know, I didn't have... You can't play Misstep at that point, right? I think I had Misdirection. Right. It was really interesting. Yeah, force of Negation. Yeah, I can't remember. It was really tricky. Yeah. A really interesting scenario. But uh, I think he, I think they won on their turn. I, I think actually what happened was they drew like an Abrade or something. I don't remember exactly. 
and they protected it. It was something really simple like that. But anyway, the point is that Necropotence creates lots of interesting options in terms of how many cards you can draw, but there's tight trade-offs um, to consider. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the these doomsday scenarios are always such satisfying things in the end because they really they really stress so much of these appear to be in my opinion the pinnacle of the scenarios right (laughs) because they involve in my opinion the largest universe of possibilities right like workshop sequencing options are are fun to do and they introduce a lot of elements of understanding both your deck and your opponent but they always feel a little bit smaller than (laughs) these doomsday options (laughs) Well, thank you for indulging me and in what was a very fun episode, Kevin. I hope our audience enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, and I hope to that end that you appreciate this as an, a sort of aperitif to our next episode, which will be our Ikoria set review. And it'll be coming out soon because previews start, as I said, within a couple of days from now, which means probably three weeks from now. I can't remember the actual date. The uh, In an unprecedented move, the paper release of Ikoria <laughs> has been delayed due to our quarantine and pandemic situation. So our schedule for this is obviously delayed by a little bit, but either way, you'll be hearing from us very soon to analyze and review Ikoria. And we're very much excited about that. So with that, thank you for listening to episode 98 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at many insane plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes so that other Magic players can find our show. We appreciate those of you who have done that. As always, and until next time, we wish you many insane plays.